Well, good morning, church. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I just got to stay out of the gate. Man, we had an incredible day yesterday. Yesterday kind of, yeah, let's give the Lord some praise for yesterday. And some of you are like, what in the world was yesterday? Well, let me tell you, yesterday launched our Serve Weekend, and it was started yesterday, and it was all about us serving our community, going outside the walls of the church. And later, you're going to hear Drew come up and talk about today. It's all about serving inside the walls of the church and ways that you can sign up and be a part of serving here at East Campus on a Sunday morning. But yesterday was an incredible day. And as I, as I sat back and I looked at the pictures and watched the videos and all the different things, I was just blown away that we truly have a church that lives out what Kent mentioned a while ago. We truly do love God and we love people. We had over 80, between 80 and 100 people, Drew, right? Between 80 and 100 people that were involved yesterday and a part of what we did, serving in many capacities from canvassing the neighborhoods to cutting hair to building a gaga ball pit. And if you know what that is, Google it. It's kind of weird. But anyway, we did all this kind of stuff. And I just say, I'm so thankful to be able to be part of a church that has that heart. So I thank you, church, for serving. I know many of you could not serve, but for many of you could, and thank you for your heart to serve our community and to show them the love and the light of Christ. I also want to thank, I'd be remiss if I didn't share it, I also want to thank Drew. Drew, you may know him as our student pastor, but he's also our outreach pastor. Yes, give Drew a hand. Uh, did a great job putting all those things together and making it happen. Now, as we plan Serve Weekend, with all the details of it, I begin to think about it. I, I don't know if you, you know me well enough to know, most of you, that I think way too deeply about too many things. So as we plan and Serve Weekend, I just start asking myself some questions. And one question I asked was, okay, as God is blessing us and we continue to grow by His grace and His mercy, how can we maintain a spirit in our church where we continue to have a heart to serve the people around us? How, how can we maintain a heart to serve? Because we have it right now. In fact, if you're kind of new to our church, you need to know that serving is part of the rhythm of our church. It's part of our DNA. It's, it's really, we talk about this often, it's not something we do, but it's who we are. And so if you're kind of new to us, you need to know that. We want you to be here, be part, but we want you to join us as we serve inside the walls, but more importantly, serve outside the people who need to hear the love of Christ. So I thought, how can we maintain this spirit, this heart for serving? So I did as I always do. I started coming through Scripture, coming through Scripture. And there was something, as I come through Scripture, something that always came up to my, kind of, always kind of came uh, to, to in front of me was this, is that if we want to maintain a heart to serve, it begins by maintaining a heart for people, right? If we're going to have a heart to serve, where does that begin for us? It begins by having a heart for people. Now, you may not know this, but I'm going to lighten you this morning. As a church, we are in the people business, all right? I hope you know that. It's all about people. I know sometimes you tell people, people say, well, if it weren't for people, uh, life would be so much easier. Well, if it weren't for people, we wouldn't have a church, right? So we're in the people business. And if we're going to maintain a heart to serve church, we've got to have a heart for people, a heart for our neighbors heart for our communities, heart for our co-workers. And as we come to the book of Galatians, it's interesting that we would pick up in the middle of chapter 4 because what we see today, what we're going to see, is how Paul had a huge heart for people. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but as Paul pens these letters, have you ever wondered the question? I mean, he wrote over half of the New Testament, by the way. Have you ever wondered why he said some of the things he said? Why he was confrontational when need be? while he was compassionate, while he needed to be. Why would he say all these things? Because Paul had a heart for people. 
And so today, I want us to ask ourselves a question. Do we have a heart for people? And we're going to see Paul's heart, and we're going to see a couple things about his heart that hopefully are part of our life as well. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage, so I'm going to let you stay seated this morning. We'll come to it as we go. But there's really two things I want you to notice about the heart of Paul. And the first one's found in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And this is what the Word of God says. Chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by the nature are no good. By nature are no good. But now that you have come to know God, or rather that you, will be, that you be known by God, how can you turn your back against, again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, when you look at the words of Paul here, here's the first thing I want you to know. When we read this, one thing I want us to unpack is that Paul hurts that the Galatians have turned back. He legitimately is bothered and is hurt that these these Christians in the area of Galatia have turned back. Well, what are they turned back from? Well, remember, he spent all these chapters leading up to this, defining for them there's one gospel. Jesus died for us to save us. That's it. The only way to be saved is through Jesus. He establishes that. Then he establishes, not only that, the only way to be right with God is not through your performance. It's through faith in Jesus. So Paul's established all these things that they already knew. And he says, what I'm concerned about and what I'm heartbroken over is, you know this stuff, and yet you go back to your old way of thinking. Now think about that for a moment. Have you ever wrestled with that with maybe your kiddos when you were disciplining them? They did something wrong, you set them down, and you clearly instructed them on what the right choice was. Any parents ever done that? Okay, you clearly instructed them on exactly the right things to do and the things not to. For example, with my three boys, you may not know this, but my three boys were all boys, and so they liked to fight all the time. And poor David, being the youngest, was kind of the one that got thrown into it all the time as well. So if they wanted to experiment, guess who they experimented on? It was David. I remember one time David was downstairs with my middle son Daniel and my oldest son James was down there. And James, my oldest, somehow talked Daniel into convincing David that they should both tie a belt around their waist and tie a belt between them and they would stand back to back and run opposite directions and see how fun that would be. It wasn't fun. Because all we heard, Sonia was screaming from up downstairs. We were upstairs, and we go down there, and David's head is gashed open on the back. And all he can say is, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And so we're like, this, this. So we set them down and said, clearly, David is not a toy. We don't experiment on David. Don't do this stuff. Now, did that last for my older two boys? No. And there's a part of you going, well, I explained to you clearly what was the right thing to do, and yet I'm confused. You keep going back to your old way of thinking. You ever experienced that as a parent? Probably more times than you can count, right? That's what's going on here. And did you notice what Paul says to them? Go back with me and let's go to verse 8. Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are no good. In other words, he says, listen, you used to be, before Jesus, you were enslaved to some things. You were enslaved to that old way of thinking. You were enslaved to those things that were the elementary principles of the world. In other words, you were enslaved to that false things like religion. 
You were enslaved to legalism. I must perform to be accepted. You were enslaved into idolatry. Listen, before you knew Jesus, you were enslaved to all this stuff. But look at verse 9. Look what he says. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again? In other words, listen, before Jesus, I get it. Before Jesus, you were enslaved to this idea that I've got to perform to be accepted, religion, legalism, idolatry. I get it. You were enslaved to that stuff. But when Jesus saved you now, you know God and you are known by God. Now, this word know here in the Greek doesn't mean a head knowledge. It is a heart's reality. It means you deeply know God. And more importantly, guess what? You are known by God. Now, if you were to take that language to know and to be known, and you were to put it into the marriage context, it would express a great deal of relational intimacy. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to create. He wants the churches in the area of Galatia to know, listen, before Jesus, I get it. You're enslaved by this wrong way of thinking. But here's the reality. Now you know God. You are deeply known by God. There's an intimacy of a relationship with your heavenly father. Why in the world are you going back? Why in the world would you hand in your love and your relationship and the intimacy with God to go back to this works righteousness mentality? Why would you do that? I don't understand, Paul saying, why a son or daughter of the Most High God would go back to slavery. Now think about that for a moment. Can you feel Paul's hurt in his words? Can you feel the hurt when he's like, listen, you used to be enslaved to this, but you know God. You are deeply known by God. Why are you going back? Why would you go back to, you're a son and a daughter. Why would you go back to slavery? You are free in Christ. Why go back to bondage? Do you feel the hurt and the anguish and how Paul is bothered by the decision of the Galatians? I hope so. Because look what he says in verse 11. He kind of, kind of, you know, exclamation points it in verse 11. He says this, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. That is probably the greatest expression of his hurt. He's like, all the time I invested in you, all the time I spent with you, all the words I've written you, all the prayers I prayed on your behalf, I'm afraid as I look at you currently and your current situation that all my efforts were worthless. We're in vain. Now, there's some of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, there's some of you parents, you know how that feels. You've labored, you've poured into your child, you've done all you can, and they continue to rebel, continue to rebel, continue to rebel, and there's a part of you going, every effort I've put forward has been in vain. You understand the hurt that Paul is feeling. And I just want you to know, Paul hurt the churches of Galatia turned back to the old way of thinking and the old way of living. Now, it'd be really easy for you and I to look at this passage going, I can't believe they would do that, right? I can't believe that they now have this intimate relationship with their heavenly father and that they're going to sideline that to go back to a works righteousness, a works that says, I must perform to be accepted. I cannot believe they would trade this in for that. And there's a lot of us, quite frankly, that might want to throw spiritual stones at the churches in Galatia. Because I can't believe they would do that. But here's my question. Is it possible that some of us in the room today are just like them? You know God. You've made a decision of faith for God. You put your faith in Jesus. Which means you now are deeply known by God. 
but you struggle. Maybe you struggle going back to the very things that enslaved you once before. Maybe you struggle going back to the things, maybe it's the pursuit of immediate gratification. Maybe it's the pursuit of fulfilling your fleshly desires. Maybe it's, it's the pursuit of money. Maybe it's the pursuit of finding things that bring value and worth to your lives. Some of you in the room this morning, I know you love Jesus, and you say you love Jesus, and you know that you are known by God, but you struggle, and you're going back to the very things that have enslaved you once before. How do I know it? Here's why. Because some of you possibly value religious activity over relational intimacy. Some of you value Religious activity over relational intimacy. Here's what I mean. Some of you would rather serve the Lord than spend time with the Lord. That's how you know you've gone back. That's how you know you're letting the old self, the old nature, the old things enslave you once again. So I think out of the gate, instead of throwing stones spiritually at the churches in the area of Galatia, let's first ask the question, Is this sound a lot like us? Do we wrestle with these tendencies just like they did? And the second question we got to ask ourselves is our heart for people around us as big as Paul's heart was for the churches of Galatia? Right? I mean, Paul was broken over their spiritual condition. Are we broken over people's spiritual condition? Are you and I, listen, as you think about your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your extended family, are you broken over their spiritual condition where they've turned back from following God and living for God and embracing that relationship and they've turned back to the old ways of doing life? Are you broken over that? Listen to me. Hear me, church. Being broken over someone else's spiritual condition is the beginning place of us having a heart for people. I've said this before, and I will continue to say it. One of the passages that wrecked me the most is the words of Jesus when he looked out over the area, and here's what he said. He said that when he sees people, well, here's what he sees. Those that are harassed, helpless, like sheep, without a shepherd. Are you broken over people like Paul was broken over people? And if not, Ask the Lord to change that today. There was a song written several years ago by a guy by the name of Brandon Heath, and I hope I get the lyrics right. It was called Give Me Your Eyes. You may have heard that before, but here's the first part of the song. It says, give me, I won't sing it, don't worry. It says, give me your eyes for just one moment. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I've been missing. Give me your love for humanity. And that is powerful. How heartbroken are we over the spiritual conditions of those around us. The second thing I want you to notice is kind of a continuation. Paul is not only hurt by them going back, but that isn't stoppable. Because listen, many of you would say this morning, yeah, Doug, I'm kind of hurt over the spiritual condition of those around me. And here would be my second question to you. Is, if you're hurt by their spiritual condition, what are you doing about it? See, that's where most of us stop. Well, I'm just going to pray, pray, pray for them, right? Which is awesome. But they're probably going to need more than that. They're going to need a conversation. They're going to need a moment. They're going to need an encounter. And the beautiful thing about Paul is, not only do we see his heart for the areas of Galatians, look what he does next. The second thing I want you to notice is, Paul cares enough for them to tell them the truth. And he's going to do it in four different ways. He kind of appeals to the church in Galatia in four different ways as he speaks truth to them. Look at me in verse 12, very first part. He said, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become 
as you are. Now, that's a little confusing, but here's what Paul does. He appeals to his story first. He's trying to speak truth to them, so he appeals first to his story. He says, listen, become like me. Now, this is not a voice of arrogance in the life of Paul. What he's saying is this, is I once used to be enslaved to legalism, just like you are, but I'm free. And I'm living as a free child of the Most High God. And I want you to become like me. I want you to live in the freedom that you have in Christ. I want you to live in that freedom. I don't want you to live in bondage. I don't want you to live in legalism. Be like me. Live freely. Like if you were to study anything about slavery of old, which is horrific, do you think people that were set free from slavery ever desired to go back to slavery? Or do they want to live in the freedom they just acquired? And they would live in the freedom. But when it comes to faith, sometimes we don't. We go back to slavery. And Paul says, I want you to be like me. Yes, I used to be a slave to sin, but now I'm free in Christ, and I want you to be like me and live in that freedom. He says, I've also become like you, meaning I was you. I have walked a mile in your shoes. I understand the weight of living in a lifestyle of legalism that says I must perform to be accepted. I get it. But I want you to be like me. So he appeals to his story. <coughs> the second appeal he makes is found in verse 12 also through verse 16. He says this, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily element that I preached the gospel to you at first and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Think about that. He at first, he's trying, I mean, he cares enough, he's speaking truth. So the first thing he says, listen, I want you to become like me. I want you to get to a place where you realize that you, that you are going back to legalism and you need to live as a free person. But then he appeals to the relationship with the churches in Galatia. Did you pick up on that? He says, listen, there was a season you welcomed me. You welcomed the gospel that I brought. In fact, there was a season that you used to love me so much, Church of Galatia, that you would have gouged your eyes out for me. I don't know. I love a lot of people, but there's not many I would ever gouge my eyes out for, would you? He says, you love me so much, you would have gouged your eyes out for me. But something changed. Something changed. Something happened. And you've gone from following what God has done for you and living in that freedom and you've turned your back on me. And you've turned your back on the gospel of grace. You've gone backwards. Something has happened to you. And have I now become your enemy? Now, if you're the churches in Galatia who used to desperately love Paul, this would have pierced your heart a little bit. There would have been a moment when he related to his story. You go, okay, I get what you're saying, Paul. I know that I am free in Christ. I need to live like it. But when he says this, he's basically saying something's changing you. Have you ever had a friend who was in a relationship, dating, or even a marriage relationship, and it was going south, and they, because they're in it, didn't see it, but you did because you're outside of it? Anybody ever have a friend like that? And then you find yourself speaking to them, and when that happens, when you go to them out of love, is it tend to be received very well? 
No. Well, you know, I love you, but man, they're, man, you don't understand this, but they're controlling you. I mean, you don't understand this, but they're doing this to you. They don't understand this, but this is what's happening here. You don't understand this, but you need to deal with this. And all they do is come at you with anger and venom, right? Something changed. Paul's looking at the church of Galatia going, you used to love me, man. Our relationship was tight, and something changed. And now you call me not a friend, but an enemy. And then Paul appeals to, he appeals to his story, he appeals to the personal relationship, but then he appeals to another thing. He kind of he gives them some insight. He gives them perspective that tells them what changed. Look with me in verse 17 and 18. Here's what he says. They, now who are the they? Let's stop there for a minute. The they are the people we've been talking about all the way through the book of Galatians. They are the Judaizers. They're the ones who claim to be followers of Jesus, but have taught a message to all the churches in Galatia that salvation and right standing with God doesn't just come through Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus something else. And in their case, it's Jesus plus keeping the law. Jesus plus legalism. Jesus plus religious activity. That's what they're teaching. So that's the they here, verse 17. He said they want to, he said they make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Here's what Paul's saying. He offers them this perspective. The Judaizers have come to you and they've preached the message to you and they have made much of you. That phrase made much of you means they've just shown you an extreme amount of love. They want you to think they love you, they care about you, and listen, they have your best interest at heart. But Paul says, but they want to shut you out. You know what that means? That means they don't care about you. All they care about is making a name for themselves. They care nothing about you. They've come to you, man, they've said the right stuff. They've given you the warm fuzzies. They make you think that you, man, you really are, you mean you are the jam of their jelly roll. I mean, like you matter more than anybody else. You can quote me on that. You, you matter more than anybody else. But at the end of the day, they don't care anything about you. They care about making a name for themselves. Because listen, if you buy into the lie and you buy that it's Jesus plus something, guess what? That's going to spread. And they're going to be known as people who are spreading a gospel that is false gospel, but it's going to spread. And they don't care anything about you. He says, rather, it's important for people to make much of you. It's important for you to know people care about you. But guess who that is? It's me. It's Paul. I love you enough. I'm telling you the truth. I care enough about you that I'm willing to fight for you. I care enough about you that I'm not going to abandon you. I care enough about you. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. In fact, if there's a name I'm trying to make, it's the name of Jesus. I'm trying to elevate the name of Christ, not myself. These guys have deceived you into thinking they truly care about you. They don't. So Paul tries to give them perspective. There's another area that he appeals. Lastly, he appeals to one more area. It's found in verse 19 and 20. It says this. My little children. Now, interesting. Any of you have grown kids, like, over the age of 20? Over the age of 20? Really? really? You really have some? Okay. Anybody have kids over the age of 20? Raise your hand loud and proud. Come on. Okay. You dress your grown kids, my little child, or my little pony, whatever you want to say. I mean, you dress them as that. Why? Why? 
So this is not a compliment that Paul is about to say, right? He's not addressing them with a great deal, uh, you know, my, my beloved children. He's saying something to kind of cut them back down to size. He says this in verse 19, my little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. See, what Paul does in this last, he appeals by showing his desire for them. And the imagery he's using here is parent imagery. Did you pick up on that, the whole idea of childbirth? He's talking as a parent. And really what he's saying is, as a parent, I'm pleading with you to come back. I'm pleading with you to come back. And he says something really fascinating. He's like, you know, I anguish with you as if it was like childbirth all over again. Now, let me just ask a question to all the mamas in the room, okay? When you birthed your child and they became a teenager, was there ever a part of you that thought about rebirthing them again? I'm, speaking, I'm asking a question. No, right? Because they grow up and they move on. So Paul's literally using this idea that I birthed you in faith. You're supposed to have grown up in faith. You should be toddlers and teenagers and adults in the faith. But the way you're acting is as if you need to be born again. I was there to birth you into the faith. But you're acting like you've never been born. He says, listen, I am perplexed by you. I am at my wits end. I have done all I can do. Paul's like a big papa to them. He's pleading with them, come back. So when you look at the words of Paul, what you see is this hurt over them turning back, but you also see that Paul cares enough to tell them the truth. If you say you love somebody, if you say that you have a heart for people, well, that means we also should have a heart to tell them the truth, right? Now, I'm not saying we should speak the truth arrogantly, and if you have the mentality that if it comes to my mind, I just say it, I'm going to say that's sinful. You probably you need, you need a filter. Filters are important, but I'm talking about we should have a heart that says, if I see an injustice, if I see something wrong, I'm going to go and love and speak truth to that person. So that's what Paul does. Paul says, listen, I've been where you're at. You're free in Christ. Start acting like it. I've been where you're at. Paul says, hey, listen, here's the reality is that something happened to you. You let something happen. What happened? They let the Judaizers influence them and deceive them into thinking that it wasn't just Jesus. It was Jesus plus something. And then Paul, as a parent, says, I'm pleading with you. Come back. Come back. So this morning, couple of things I want you to think about as we close. First of all, can you resonate with the churches in Galatia? Can you see maybe a little bit of you and what they struggle? Maybe you have turned back to things that once enslaved you and you're not living in the freedom that God has for you. In fact, you've let the wrong voices enter into your life that are steering you the wrong direction. And if that's you this morning, I have one word for you. Repent. Cry out to your holy God and go, God, I've been walking the wrong path, believing the wrong things, and God, I'm turning back to you. Second thing I think we need to think about is this. Bless you, by the way. Second thing I need to think about is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, do I have a heart for people the way Paul had a heart for people? 
When I see people broken and hurting, does it bother me? Does it hurt when I see people turning away from Christ and turning back to a works kind of salvation, a works kind of uh, righteousness? Does it bother me? And if it bothers me, what am I doing about it? Do I care enough to tell them the truth? That Jesus loves them. There is a way back. But they let something happen in life. They let the wrong voice, the wrong person, the wrong experience shape them. And I'm going to speak truth to them. And I'm going to plead with them as if I was their parent saying, come home. Come back. Come back to Christ. And if you're a believer in the room, would you think about those two things? Because I know some of you, some of you are going to say, Mandek, I really have a heart for people. Well, that should be evident in how we go after people. Speak truth in the lives of others. And so maybe this morning you're saying, Doug, I'm not like the Galatians because I fought that battle, but I'm not sure I have a heart for people the way that Paul had a heart for people. Would you ask God to give you a heart transplant this morning? Would you ask him to change your propensities? And would you ask him to change your mindset? And that he, as Brandon he song said, that he would give you his love for humanity this morning? I pray because many of you, look me, you're going to go to lunch when we're done here. Can I just tell you, there are people that you're going to encounter today that are broken. Did you know that? Come on, church, you know that? Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, after we left church, some of us went to uh, Cracker Barrel. We took our college-adopted daughter and our college-adopted stepdaughter uh, to, to lunch that day, uh, who left her car here, by the way. I thought I'd say that, and almost got locked up for the whole week. But anyway, we took them to lunch at Cracker Barrel, and there we had a waitress that had this big tattoo on her arm. And I'm always curious, what, what does the tattoo stand for? And the tattoo said, beautifully broken. And she began for about five minutes or so telling us her story and her journey of faith, how a broken relationship had turned her back to her faith in God and that God had radically changed her life, given her a husband that loves her and two precious kids. And I'm like, I'm so glad on that day I went to that place to hear that encouragement of her story. But you know what? I asked her, you know why? Because I love people. I asked her because I saw broken. All I, saw. I didn't see the beautiful at first. I just saw broken. Can we agree we live in a broken world? Can we agree people around us are broken? And if we're going to have a heart to serve, it begins with having a heart for people. So where's your heart this morning? And then last of all, if you don't know Christ, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And here's the truth. One day, every single one of us are going to leave this world unless Jesus comes back. And one day, every single one of us are going to stand face to face with the Holy God. And if you, when he asks you, what did you do with Jesus? Did you trust him as your Savior or not? If you did, welcome home, my faithful servant. And if you didn't, you're going to be cast away forever. Eternal separation. No second chances. No do-overs. And for all the golfers in the room, no mulligans. It's it. It's a done deal. And if you don't know Christ today, would you just surrender your life to him? Because you don't know what the next breath holds for you. You don't even know if there is going to be a next breath for you. Would you just surrender your life and say, Jesus, I, I don't have it all figured out. But I do believe you died on the cross for me. I do believe you love me. And I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to begin this journey of learning more about you. But I surrender my life to you today. If you'll do that, he will change you from the inside out. So however God is working in your heart today, would you be faithful to respond. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, right where you stand, just for a moment, would you just do a real quick heart check? 
Would you ask yourself, take a moment and ask yourself, does my life look much like the church of Galatia, the churches in Galatia? Have I gone back to some things that once held me bondage? Have I gone back to those things? Have I let the wrong voices in? And if you have, would you just repent? Say, Lord, I'm going to turn away from this, and I'm turning back to you. And also for believers, let's do a heart check on our heart for people. Do we legitimately have a hurt, a brokenness, and are we bothered by people that we know who've turned their back on God? By people that we know They've turned back to things that used to say, if we're bothered, what are we doing about that? Are we speaking truth? Are we staying silent? Let's do a heart check. Well, Doug, it's not my responsibility to speak truth. Yes, it is. It is your biblical responsibility to go to a brother or sister, a family member, a friend who's walking away and in love and kindness and in mercy and compassion speak truth into their lives. And then maybe this morning, you've never trusted Christ. Would you do what I said a moment ago? Because one day you will stand before him. You will give an account of whether you put your faith in Jesus or not. And I know you don't have it all figured out. You don't have to have it figured out. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the children who come to him, that we have to have childlike faith. They don't have it figured out, but there's a simplicity to it where they just trust Jesus and they'll figure the rest of it out as they go. Maybe that's your story this morning. Right where you stand, would you say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I put my faith in you. Forgive me my sins change me. And if you'll pray that, he will. And if you pray that the moment you said, come into my life, you're, you move from death into life, and your name is written in the book of life, and you will have all eternity with him forever. So whatever decision you make today, would you do it? This altar will be open in a moment. The people are willing to pray for you. But believers, let's do a heart check. Find out where we're at, and let's get right with the Lord. God, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. I thank you that yesterday I was able just to back up and at least the place that I was at and see your people serving. There was no complaining. There was no, there was no bickering. There were just a group of people who were desperately in love with you that wanted the people around them, the community that surrounds us to know that we love Jesus and we love them. And God, I was so blessed by that. And God, I pray for us this morning that as we think about our hearts and our lives, that we would do a heart check as believers. That we would make sure that we've not gone back and that we're not enslaved to something you set us free from that we would check our hearts, Lord, and make sure that we don't just talk about having a heart for people, but we're living like we have a heart for people. And then, God, I pray for that person who needs to trust you. I pray they've done that this morning. God, would you move in this time, move in this space, and may we be faithful to respond to your calling, to your leadership, and to your direction. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. If you need to come pray, the altar is open. If not, Pat and Willie right over there, and Jason and Kelly right over there would love to pray with you. But listen, however God is moving in your heart this morning, would you just be sensitive to that? Would you just say, Lord, whatever you're doing, as Rachel sang a while ago, here I am. 
I'm available. So have the Lord lead you. Let's respond.